Hi, this is Tommy Daly of Conjure and Fate, and you're listening to the Metal Cell Podcast.
Man, that was good. I needed that being truthful. That was Conjuring Fates, Night of the Long Knives, which was their last um, single, actually. If you haven't seen the video, check it out. There's some absolute bearded honeys in it vying for Jack the Ripper's attention. It's the best way of describing it. The video actually was filmed and directed by George Clark of Yellow Fever Productions. So a big shout out to Tommy, Phil, Carl, Steve and Niall of Conjuring Fate. Um, it was that class track was off their last album, which was released. Jesus, it was released five months ago and it was called Curse of the Fallen. I think, yeah, it was recorded in Hornland Studios, County Antrim which is managed by the band's guitarist, Phil Horner. So, again, uh, shout out to Phil there. The album was mixed and mastered by Josh Robinson at JSR Audio. And, of course, Conjuring Fate signed with Germany's Pure Steel Records on March 2017, for those that are interested. And they released their debut album, Valley of the Shadows, in June that year. So check out all of Conjuring Fate stuff on www.conjuringfate.com and subscribe to their YouTube channel if, in case you haven't. So welcome to the show. Here I am on my own. Bit weird, I must say, but that is just the way things are at the moment. Um, it, is, it is hard out there, especially if you've fucking nothing to do. At least I've got um, a few distractions. Yeah. I've started watching um, Peaky Blinders, which is, um, I must say, lives up to the hype so far. Um, plenty of walks with the kids and just trying not to be a nuisance really around the house. Although, that said, I did make um, quite a fuck up last night, I suppose would be the best way of describing it. Um... Yeah, decided to head out to one of the rooms to turn on Spotify on the laptop. And we have this render's head with antlers. It wouldn't look out of place in Faulty Towers, except the thing isn't hanging up yet. I have offered repeatedly to hang it up. Um, to give you an idea of the size of it, it's probably twice the size of a human head. And the antlers are probably three foot high. Um, got at great expense as well. So anyway, I decided to have it propped up against um, a cabinet while um, she decided to get somebody in to hang it up. Anybody bar me. Unfortunately, the antler got snagged, for better word, on my tracksuit bottom. And as I turned around with Black Sabbath, I think, Children of the Grave, yeah, <laughs> ironically enough, as that was starting to, the opening chords of that started up, I turned around and, of course, the fucking antlers and the head tilted sideways and smashed down onto the ground, sending, sending bits of antler everywhere. Of course, the two kids thought it was hilarious and roared laughing. And I knew I was just fucked. Um, yeah, so got a lovely bollocking for that. That was one funny aspect 
of life in seclusion at the moment in the Lafaux household. So I've got a great show lined up and I've got um, some great contributions as well from a few of the lads in the scene. All will be revealed later, which I'm very grateful for. Moving swiftly onwards to some updates in relation to festivals. Uh, the first one is the Clang update. The good news is that Clang has not been cancelled, but rescheduled for Saturday the 26th of September. And that's at the same venue, which is the National Stadium. Um, I had the pleasure of being there for Testament, Exodus and Dead Angel. Those that have bought tickets, um, hold on to them. And those that haven't bought tickets, it's the same price and it's the same lineup. Um, bar Acid Rain, who cannot make the state. They will perform in Ireland at another time. And the Clang ticket holders will gain free admission to that gig. So hold on to the tickets. Also, our Mountain Festival have been in touch. Unfortunately, they had to cancel for this year. Um, they're moving the launch to May Bank Holiday next year. And it will still be a three-day event with two stages um, featuring the best of Irish talent, no doubt. Um, so there will be more promotional nights probably once things get back to normal. Um, also, all the orders and ticket sales for that event have been refunded through Eventbrite. So just keep an eye on their page. Um, I don't think it will be the exact same lineup as they had uh, this year. So I'd imagine further details will be revealed by Phil and his team further on towards the end of this year or maybe early next year. Also, I want to give a shout out to Cranium Titanium Metal Radio. They posted an update on the Irish Metal Pole Awards um, 2020, of which this podcast was nominated in for Best Radio and Podcast Show. Trev is hoping to do a live Facebook uh, feed either Friday or Saturday of this weekend. Um, just keep an eye on their updates and more will be revealed. But uh, yeah, I think we're all excited to see this happening. And um, it's been great actually watching a lot of the Facebook live feeds over the last few weeks. The highlight for me was Elder Druid's one last Saturday night. I hope everybody saw that. Um, they were excellent as usual and uh, certainly took a lot of our minds off other things. And it was great to see a live concert again in your sitting room, I know, but still better than nothing. So well done, Elder Druid, for doing that. Um, another mate of mine, Dave Fitz, did one as well. Um, and The Scratch did one as well. So yeah, maybe that is the way forward for the next few weeks. I hope, certainly hope a lot of bands um, do attempt it anyway and see how they get on. So next up, I have a track by Sectile called Black Cloud. Uh, Gabriel emailed me to say that he believed this is the most appropriate choice of track and it is also their latest single. So enjoy. Smile 
Every time I listen to that, I just keep thinking, my God, those vocals, absolutely brilliant performance. Uh, I want to give a shout out to the rest of the lads, Mark, Cormac, Zach and Marcelo as well, Insectile. And thanks, Gabriel, for sending on the track to me. So just a few facts about Sectile for those that mightn't have come across them or, or hearing them for the first time. Um, they formed in November 2016 in Dublin. And then they released their self-titled EP on November 2017, the following year. So 2018 then saw the band release the single The Hunt, which kind of gave us an indication of what to expect of their new release, which was The Excellent Falls Apart. And that was released on the 25th of February of this year. Mixed and mastered by the legend that is Aidan Cunningham. And it was released under, I think, a Dublin record label, the Silver Moon Records. I kind of had a quick checkup on them. I haven't come across much by them. I know it was established in October 2019. And there's also the Silver Moon Records over in Canada. So maybe the band could fill us in on more details. Uh, they have a really cool website as well, sectileofficial.com. And of course, they're on Bandcamp, YouTube, and the usual social media sites, Instagram, etc. God knows what the next few months hold for them. Of course, it couldn't have come at a worse time when they're releasing an album. We would love to see them play live down this side of the country, down Cork. So we just have to wait and see how things go. Okay, I want to go on to the next section of the show, which is the main topic. And it's a topic that I love. And it is probably one of the most crucial parts of the metal scene, apart from the music, obviously, is the merchandising side of things. And more to the point, T-shirts. I remember being a kid, probably... 15, 16, and just being broke and not having the money to afford a t-shirt. And it just simply came down to getting a blank white t-shirt, finding paint, and I think as far as I can remember, it was emulsifier (laughs) and some model airplane paint as well. It was a combination of both anyway. And I got my Anthrax album, which was Among the Living. And I basically designed my own Anthrax t-shirt complete with the front of it, which was an actual Indian's face complete with a beautiful colored headpiece. And I contacted Timmy, who would have been and still is my best mate. And I asked him, did he remember me doing that? And he said, yeah, he remembered it very well. Of course, the downside of it is, you know, I wore it four or five times and until my mother found it hidden in the wardrobe and decided to wash it for me and just fucking destroyed it. Um, The next real T-shirt I got then was an Iron Maiden one, which was Stranger in a Strange Land. And of course, back then, which was probably... 86, 87, you couldn't really get 
all the big bands, you kind of had to go up to the city, which was Cork, go into Queen's Old Castle or Golden Discs, and they would have, you know, the latest ACDC Motorhead t-shirts, but you wouldn't kind of get the likes of Metallica, not yet, because it was still early days, 86, 87, as I said. But I do remember asking um, for a print-on t-shirt and those that don't know what a print on t-shirt is is basically a blank t-shirt and you kind of flick through probably an a3 sized folders until you find the image that you want and then it's earned onto the t-shirt so typically you would get maybe maybe 10 or 15 wears out of it and it starts cracking and fading but you'd still wear it because back then nobody really wore wearing heavy metal t-shirts bar maybe three or four of the local lads and where we lived which is Yall, which was a beach town you'd always be out there during the summertime watching to see if any people that are you know holidaying would have the they bring their kids holidaying with them and inevitably you'd find some dude walking along with a t-shirt of a heavy metal band i do remember another time um myself and timmy were in perks one fair and there was this younger guy wearing a venom t-shirt which is highly unusual and of course the two of us went up to him and then proceeded to ask a million questions about venom to see if he actually really was following the band or Maybe it was a hand down from his brother. But there were the times back then, you know, it was really just, you know, you were kind of part of a small elite group, which was the metal community, probably around eight of us into metal. And, you know, we just had just two or three T-shirts each until we kind of could afford proper proper ones the ones that actually had the back print on them and all this just made me kind of think of the scene that we have at the moment and you know how cheap t-shirts are now and that you know you could really afford to buy them when i look then at we'll say the testament exodus and dead angel gig it was just weird seeing all the t-shirts up there for 30 30 euros onwards and you know i just started thinking jesus i'm not going to buy those t-shirts i don't really i don't feel any kind of bonding with those bands anymore they were great when i was growing up you know i was really into them had all their albums but now it's nothing compared to the bond i'd have with an irish band you know that will be playing three feet in front of me that when they finish, they come down and go, well, man, what did you think of the gig? And I'll go, that was fucking amazing. And they'll probably go, thanks for wearing my fucking T-shirt, you know. That's the underground scene in Ireland. That is the scene that we're all involved in now at the moment. And that's the scene I love. It's just too big a disconnect. When a band comes in and plays a venue over 2,000 people. You're not going to be meeting that band afterwards for beers or 
share stories, you know. Will they even remember you? Probably not. And that's what I like about the the underground scene in Ireland and the bands that tour there. They'll all remember you. Like I kind of looked into it and in 1968 the first rock t-shirts were produced and um, they were made by the concert promoter Bill Graham. He kind of worked with Jefferson Airplane, The Grateful Dead, Led Zeppelin. We've come a, a long way in relation to heavy metal music but still the big draw, the big money spinner for a lot of bands nowadays is the t-shirt, you know. And like in 1978, Arturo Vega designed the Ramones logo. And that t-shirt would be a prime example of one that's just iconic and is always there. It's one of the most recognizable band logos and in, in the world, you know, that image of the eagle on the American flag. And then, of course, as I mentioned, in 1979, Iron Maiden's logo appeared on their debut AP. And um, that's just another classic of its time. The T-shirt is always going to be the biggest seller for an artist, these days anyway. And the genre of music that we love it tends to sell more and also like it's a big part of how acts make money as revenue from physical sales are declining. Kind of just made me wonder about, we'd say, big touring bands when they come in to the UK and Ireland because like there is a lot of um, hidden costs that like we'd say the consumer doesn't see. Like, for example, in the UK, I think VAT swallows up 20% of the sale price. And then you go to the venue and acts could be charged a flat fee or a percentage of the turnover for that night for simply having mer a merchandising stand at the venue. And like stuff like that needs to be said. Like the people who earn the most out of the products, apart from the tax man, are these concession companies. Like kind of we'd say maybe an artist could probably make around £4.80 for a T-shirt sold for 20 quid in these places and we'll say for venues that have a capacity of around 10,000 and upwards they can take anything from 20 to 30 percent of the gross even as much as 40 percent in some cases for acts on the road with the venue cut and the taxes when they're accounted for they might have to work with like kind of 55 percent of the retail price so for a t-shirt that costs five pounds to make and it's sold for 20, the margin after deductions would be six pounds. The band's manager would probably take 20% of that. So that's really more in the region of four pounds 80. Kind of for the venues, it's for around a thousand capacity level in England, like acts could be charged a fee of 60 to 80 pounds for a table at the back of a venue, regardless of how much merchandising they sell. Grassroots venues, could have a capacity of 300 normally charge nothing for merchandise tables. So this can allow smaller acts to take home more of the 20 pounds, you know. So, you know, there's all that to be considered um, over in England. And I mean, our bands tour England, you know, they hit bloodstock. It's just something to consider. Um, so I just started thinking then about absurd merchandise. 
uh, their best up. I think it is Sligo and Chris and Baylor is involved with Alex. And uh, I decided to contact Alex because, I mean, all my favorite clothing um, is the majority of it is absurd merchandise because they do Baylor, Worn Out, God Alone, Grey Stag, you know. So um, here's a clip of Alex talking about his company and I hope you enjoy it. So Absurd Merch started a couple of years ago when Chris from Baylor and myself um, were chatting. We just released uh, Baylor's third EP through my record label, Destroy Records, uh, which I've been running for the last, I don't know, 10 years or so, uh, releasing kind of hardcore punk uh, and other kind of heavier sounding bands, mainly Irish bands, uh, bands like Bacchus and Harvester from Galway and Putrefaction and Rat's Blood from Dublin, Ocus from loads of others as well and um, loads of bands from all over the place like France, Sweden, Poland, Russia, the US, the UK and um, so anyway uh, Baylor were, were due to head off on tour so we decided that um, they needed shirts for and merch for their tour and we printed them up and with the idea being that uh, once the lads sold the merch on tour and they came back that they'd uh, um, pay the bill so we did that and it worked out grand. So then we got chatting and said like, maybe we could do a little project along the same lines. And that's where the idea for Absurd Merch came from. So what we did was we we teamed up with uh, Danny and Edel from uh, Pulled and uh, Art for Blind Records. Um, they, they do screen printing of uh, t-shirts and uh, so then uh, we, I, I also share a kind of uh, studio space slash kind of workshop or office space where we both run uh, the record labels out of. And uh, uh, so, so, yeah, so then we started printing. We kind of got in touch with bands and let them know what we were doing. So we started printing up merch for the likes of Worn Out and God Alone, uh, Corosa, Black Shock, Red Sun Alert, Suits Air. Uh, words that burn, great stag. Uh, I'll probably repeat myself at the moment, uh, and also some festivals like uh, Monolith Fest that happened last year in Cork and Ritual of the July, and also Urban Assault Festival, which recently happened down in Cork, and we did it last year and this year we've been printing shirts for for all these bands, and uh, we we decided to kind of like uh, branch out a bit and just say we print the shirts and so the bands might be getting like 50 shirts or something like that. And then we said that we'd uh, print out off another extra five or so and then stock them in my record label store, uh, which is at distrotable.com, like as in like a merch table, like a distro table. So get in records and distribute them or distro them. And so then uh, I distro them on my online distrotable.com. Uh, hence the name of the website so if you go to absurdmerch.com you can you'll see all the absurd merch um, uh, merch that we've uh, that we stock for other bands so the idea was we take an extra five shirts or so five ten depending on the bands and what we think we might sell and we put them up into the shop and as the shirts sell then we then give the bands the royalties so whether they then like want to put it put the, those royalties towards like paying for more merch or whether they want to just take the money for themselves to pay off other bills so in essence it's like a fulfillment service because like i go to the post office and 
nearly daily with uh, selling records, distributing records for lots of other bands. For bands to send merch themselves, they have to like deal with getting packaging supplies, which which most of them won't buy in bulk. Like unlike myself, and then like not knowing exactly how to send something. So like if you depend on how you pack a T-shirt, you'll either get charged the normal amount or you could get charged a couple of euro extra. So it all adds up in costs for bands. A lot of bands also have to get the motivation to uh, go out, get the packaging supplies, pack the t-shirts, then get go to the post office. And not everyone's used to doing it. So sometimes I know uh, other bands can uh, take a couple of weeks to even send out orders. So we wanted to offer this service through the record label and through, um, through the web store. And that's why we've kind of, absurd merch so it's only kind of like it's a project uh that's that we're kind of working on and hoping hopefully we can build it and the idea would be that we could build it so that you could people can go to like a kind of one-stop shop for irish bands and uh like uh, currently we've been working with baylor uh worn out god alone croza gray stag and uh words that burn um, with the idea to kind of expand uh, this kind of one-stop shop just so so people can come to to absurdmerch.com they can uh, add like a Baylor shirt a worn out shirt a Corosa shirt and they can just check out and they don't have to be expecting like three different packages and paying three times the postage that they can just pay for everything at once so it's like a web store so you can get like all your favorite irish metal band t-shirts uh all at the same place i would love to do is to like expand this and uh you know uh, help all lots of other bands out in the same way but these things take time and it's a lot of experimenting because it's it's hard to know what will sell and uh um you don't want to be stuck with a load of t-shirts at the end of the day another thing we've been doing as well is last year or something i think it was we actually got an absurd t-shirt design made up by Kieran Nolan of uh, Hollow Truth and Flashpoint. He plays in those bands and he also does some amazing artwork through under his uh, his uh, Spearhead Media banner um, where he does a lot of logos for bands and uh, album covers and layouts. If we printed up some uh, absurd merch t-shirts, it would be like that. Uh, all the money that we get back from that would go back into kind of helping to uh, expand the absurd merch uh, kind of uh, uh, support that we could offer bands so we could take bigger stocks uh, send out um, uh, more merch to, to bands on like credit so that if a band wanted to go on tour that we could supply them with like a few a bunch of shirts and they could go off on tour uh, sell the shirts come back and then pay off the bill of course this is all easier said than done and uh, I've had a few setbacks over the years uh, I was very busy last year myself so I couldn't actually get stuff uh, kickstarted into full full swing like and also now this year we have the coronavirus which is uh, holding things up I know worn out we're supposed to be doing a tour in April and uh, they've had to cancel all their plans so we, we were gearing up to print up a bunch of merch for the lads but uh, that's all been put on hold. So like, as we all know at the moment, everything's a bit up in the air, but the idea would be in the future to kind of work towards building a kind of 
an absurd merch kind of web store that we can have stock loads of bands t-shirts so that every that it would be a place to go for uh irish metal hardcore punk music like i as i said i have a lot of connections with the kind of punk music and i haven't really brought that into absurd merch so in the next year i'd say i'll start trying to do that a bit more as well and the idea would be that it would be a support for the irish metal community and the punk scene and uh, just use it as a resource to um to to help out in some way whether it be like a organized way of getting fans their metal t-shirts so that they can currently wear them in their sitting rooms instead of at gigs but look they'll be hopefully in a couple of months time this will all have blown over and we can be all at gigs again for now it's just uh, sit back and kind of plan ahead and uh, see see how we can help out people and uh, that's the kind of that's my general ethos so just kind of you know help bands you know we're all in like i don't think there's anyone really making any money out of this and uh, we all do it for the love of it uh in terms of punk hardcore metal whatever your whatever your cup of tea is but like uh, the idea is just to help everyone out uh, and use absurd merch as a vehicle to help the metal community and help the the punk scene and just get, get everybody their favorite bands t-shirts and um hopefully one day i can actually have a separate absurd merch website but uh look it's uh still uh, still kind of early days in terms of size and scale but uh yeah so if anybody has any questions just or wants to know more about us just kind of you can look up absurdmerch.com and that will bring you to the web store and you can order your favorite t-shirt or there should be a place to contact myself or uh, anyone else so yeah uh, thanks so thanks a million to alex Fitzgerald for giving us some great insights into the running of absurd merchandising and also for sharing um, some of his plans for 2020 and onwards much appreciated and i wish him nothing but success one of the bands that Alex mentioned, of course, was Corosa. And Corosa brought out a design probably two years ago now, nearly, yeah. Um, it was a two-headed raven on a skull. And I absolutely loved it. I think it's a classic um, Irish metal design. And the guy who did it is Kieran Coughlin, who is also in Corosa. And he runs his own, um, I suppose... Uh, design company really um obsidian imagery so i got kieran to come on the show and explain the thought process um behind the two-headed raven and skull so hi richie this is kieran here from obsidian imagery i just want to say thanks a million for having me on the metal cell podcast you've asked me to come on just to discuss the artistic process behind uh, the design that i did for Corosa. Um, it was the two-headed raven and skull, which eventually ended up on a t-shirt. My design process is actually kind of, it's always different, but this was the very first one I did. And of course, being in the band, uh, it came with its own kind of, I suppose, differences as opposed to doing this for someone as a commission. This design was actually around from the time of our demo, which would have been in 2017, mid-2017. For some reason, I, we just didn't go with the design. I, pre I presented it as a sketch 
So the lads, what the lads would have seen at the time would have been just a rough idea of this two-headed raven on a skull. Uh, trying to think about what the meaning was behind it because of it's so long ago, two years ago. Uh, I think what I did was I was just using a lot of different imagery that I was coming across. Um, I was looking into kind of just ravens at the time, decided to create this amalgamation. I think at the time what I was trying to do was a, a kind of dualistic approach um, in imagery. So uh, it would would have symbolized duality. Uh, they were then, because this thing was alive, being perched on a skull, the skull would have been the memento mori, the uh, symbol of death, a reminder that we're all going to die. Now, I know that skulls are a very cliched thing in heavy metal, um, and again, this wasn't initially really intended for use with Corosa. It was just a design that I had that I just kind of showed to the lads. They were interested in it, but again, we just didn't go with the design at the time. So two years passed by, um, and then for the release of Chalice Burner, there came a time when we were discussing merchandise. The topic of t-shirts came up. So we were discussing what we could put on a t-shirt, and the lads straight away just said, what about the uh, Raven design that you did? So at that time, I got to work on it again. I dug it out. I still had it lying around the initial sketch. Um, and then what I did was I redrew it from its kind of rough, rough uh, sketch and did it in a more, uh, I suppose, it, it would have been a, a much more um, heavily contrasted design with uh, a lot of dot work. So you'll actually see it in the finished design. The skull has kind of dot, dotted shading on it. That was the way it was for the, the entire design. The Ravens had it as well. Um, I didn't like the way it looked. The lads liked it, but uh, I went back. Uh, so I, I traced the outline of it again to get it the exact same size and then re redrew the entire thing again, doing just line work. Um, the line work looked good. But then I decided to do it a third time. So I did a third copy of it again, but this time did it in pencil and watercolor. Uh, so I was kind of looking at the three of them, trying to decide. And because they were all the same size, what I was able to do was scan them all in and just open them with Photoshop and layer them on top of each other. So that way it was the shading was coming through the dot work and the line work and, and using just kind of eraser tools and stuff in, in Photoshop, I was able to take out the different elements that I didn't like. So it kind of eventually ended up with the watercolor shading on the actual crows themselves, um, which you can, you can kind of see the shading coming through in the feathers and it was mainly line work. So then everything else, as in the skull, would have just been dot work. Um, so it's, it's, initially, it's actually three separate drawings just put on top of each other. Then, of course, in Photoshop, um, I was able to start playing around with colors and we settled on two different colors. And of course, it, we were going to just offer a different option instead of the standard black for, you know, for the the obvious choice for metalheads. So we, we wanted to do completely opposite uh, as a white design. Uh, so I just again started playing around what i wanted was this kind of uh the idea of either a moon or a sun behind it but just a circle basically and fill that with color so for the white design i i looked at a lot of different colors we tried green orange like I, I ran this stuff by the lads a lot and we all kind of settled on the ones that popped out for us 
Uh, I think the the one I initially did was the black and the purple, um, and that of course is just a standard doomy kind of colors that came from you know Black Sabbath's album covers, and then I think Electric Wizard started using it. So it, I just kind of played off that uh, standard kind of doomy kind of colors, uh, and then for the the white one, I think I yeah I, I played around with a few different ones. We had a green circle there, and it, while it looked okay, it just didn't look right. The red one. Uh, a lot of people said it looked kind of like the Japanese rising sun. And that was kind of interesting as well. So we went with those two colors, basically. Um, and then we, yeah, stuck them on a T-shirt. Uh, they came back looking pretty good. So we ran with them. But again, th that that was a very different, a very different procedure than what I'd normally do for the likes of a commission for a, a band or anything like that. Whereas they'd come at we me with ideas and I'd be kind of following up. Uh, with them as to what they want and and walking them through the process of what works and what doesn't work whereas with this this was something that I kind of preconceived and then yeah then it just kind of stayed parked for two years and then revisited it and just kind of with a fresh set of eyes just went to work and creating something that just I don't know I, I suppose stood out not too heavy on detail uh, just a nice simple design to put on a t-shirt so yeah I hope that uh Hope that shed some light on what I do and how I do it. And um, thanks a million for having me on. Thank you, Karen, for that. It's one of my favorite T-shirts um, by an Irish metal artist by a long, long mile. Um, I remember wearing that um, to a few things and people just stopping me and asking me about it. Um, one particular favorite, obviously, was the time I interviewed Jambanai down in Clonakilty. The two lads out of Jamb and I thought it was class and the manager as well. And uh, great icebreaker as well. You know, we started talking about that. Complete strangers and just goes to show the power that an image on a T-shirt um, as a way of connecting with an artist and a fan. They become kind of visual, a visual shorthand for a better word and send out a message that the act whose name you have on your chest is definitely worth checking out kind of a t-shirt spotted in the real world can through a great design stand out and put musicians in the eye line of people who might otherwise be unaware of them it's the best way of summing it up isn't it um another great band um associated with t-shirts and there's there's quite a few um and I was delighted he actually contributed to this was Sean O'Sullivan out of 10 Ton Slug. Here's what Sean had to say about another classic Slug release and it is the beautiful the green yellow Slug 1950s horror movie. It came from the peat to eat human meat. I actually had this not only on t-shirt but i've a signed poster by the lads as well and um definitely a prized possession so without any further ado um i'll let sean explain the whole process behind it hey sean here from tentel slug richie asked me to chat a little bit about the thought process that went into the design and the making of the beast from the bog tent on slug shirt um, from two years ago now. So 
this was different from all their other designs in a number of ways. Um, firstly, it was our first in color. And secondly, it was our first time working with somebody outside of the band. We kept everything in the band before then. The main reason for this was we had a tour, um, March of the Mollusk tour, eight day tour in the March of 2018. And just before this tour, we found out that we would be supporting Black Label Society in Dublin, in the Tivoli Theatre, and in for two dates in Belfast too. So we wanted to do a special piece of merch for this, but given the restrictions with our time and everything, because we're going on tour and because Owen usually did our shirt designs, the usual process wasn't something that was available to us at that time. So we said um, we'd go with somebody else and we could keep the tour just as focusing on, on the tour, basically. So after a lot of kind of looking around, we decided to go with Andy Pilkington, who is somebody we'd met through the Bloodstock thing. Um, we'd met at Bloodstock, uh, I think, the year or two years before, and we'd heard a lot about his work. So we got in touch. He was well up for it. He loves B-movie posters, and... I don't know if it was him or, or us who suggested the idea of a B-movie poster originally. Um, we had a good look online, and we found loads of slime-kind-of-based stuff thrown around, loads of ideas like slime boobs was in there and a whole lot of other stuff as well. But in the end, we decided to go with something that kind of was more of a throwback to the, let's say, the origin story of the slug coming out of a bog that kind of relates a little bit more to us and is a bit of crack as well. So we decided to call it Beast from the Bog, and we went through a couple of different drafts of it. We knew the color scheme should be green um, or have a lot of green in it. And we, after a lot of back and forth, we decided that putting our names on it would be cool in this case because it would make it more of like a movie poster showing exclusively in these places at these times. So that's what we did. We threw in Samuel L. Jackson at the bottom as well for a laugh because he's pretty much in everything. And... It came together basically as we were driving through uh, Scotland and England, very hungover, most days. So yeah, it was something that, it was a group effort. Um, well, yeah, as we were dying, we came up with a phrase, um, it came from the peat to eat human meat, which uh, got a good laugh from everyone. So we said we'll keep that as well. Uh, checking the newest kind of, the newest one, um, the newest version and making a few tweaks. And by the time the tour was over, the, the design was done. It was brilliant. Really easy to work with Andy and uh, really, really good result at the end. We were absolutely delighted with it. We only did 100 of these shirts um, and they were only available at the shows and they sold out. So it was it was really good. Um, we've worked with Andy since. We've done the Slugzilla design with him. And this is something that we've we've done to kind of keep in stock, not just for one particular show or anything like that. Ultimately, the, sh the shirt is just a, uh, it's a bit of crack, and it's good to be able to work with somebody new, do something different, something in colour, and something specific for a gig, which was all first for us at that point, really. And that's it. Cheers. Thanks a million to Sean for that uh, contribution. Wow. There's plenty of stuff there um, that I bet people didn't know. And uh, it was so cool to hear the way the whole thing came together. I love the thing about Samuel L. Jackson as well. Who would have thought that? I think nearly all of 10 Ton Slug t-shirts at this stage should be collector's items. I don't know how many times 
I've been at festivals and gigs and people have come up to me going, wow, I love your t-shirt. Or on the other side, I've been at a gig and I've seen a 10-ton slug patch or a t-shirt as well. And I've gone up to the dude going, hey man, really love your t-shirt. They're just that type of band. They are one of the most important metal bands in Ireland at the moment. It's just a great time to be a 10-ton slug fan. And long may they prosper and continue. So thanks a million to all the lads that um, agreed to come on the show tonight. Um, Part 2 of my t-shirt special will continue next week. And I am absolutely delighted to leave you all tonight with um, an exclusive. And it is... The new track from Grief Eater. Grief Eater are releasing their self-titled debut on March the 31st. And this is the opening track. A little bit more information on it is it was recorded and mixed up at Lost Light Recordings. So shout out to Shawnee Cads and Jonathan for sending on the track. And the name of the track is Imha in Iog, I think. That's if my Irish is half decent anyway. So thanks everybody for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. Um, it was definitely a strange one, just me on my own. But um, yeah, it is what it is, as they say. Uh, check out all the social media uh, on The Metal Cell. And don't forget to check out the new website, www.themetalcell.com. And uh, stay safe out there, people, and stay positive. I believe you with the beautiful, subtle sounds of Grief Eater.